It's great to be with you. I want to, I know we've prayed a few times today for, for our hearts, that we would be open. Uh, man, what a great worship time. Just, I'm just reminded as we sing these songs about the reality of what God is doing in our own hearts. When we trust him and we trust the story, and I'm just so grateful. There are times I get up here ready to teach, and I feel like we could just go home. Um. Let me pray for this last bit of time we have together. There are so many things to distract us, God. There's so many things um, that cause us to, to not be earnest, to not be full of wonder, to not trust, Lord, what you are doing. There's so many ways to think that the heartache or brokenness or agony that we're going through um, like has the last word. <laughs> even, as, even as this baby is talking in this prayer, I'm just thinking like that's the kind of, you say these are the kinds of people that enter the kingdom, like the kids. Lord, I don't know what you meant by all of that, but I, I just imagine just the, the, the trust and the faith the wide-eyed, open wonder that I see in my child, I see in children. Lord, teach us to have that expectancy. May we sit on the edge of our seat, not for my words, but for the words of the Lord. Open our eyes that we would see you, our ears that we would hear you, and our hearts that we would know you more. In your name we pray. Amen. Man, I'm just going to jump right in. Uh, we'll hold on the standing for the reading of the word. I'm going to kind of just go through this text today. Um, and if you want to turn with me in your Bibles to Acts 19, 23 to 41. If you're new uh, to our church, we do this every week. We say, would you turn to the scriptures? Uh, this, we believe, is this... Um, odd, mysterious, authoritative word from God that's been given to us. It's a collection of stories and accounts of poems, like letters outlining sort of systematic, how do we understand the story? Some that are just telling tales, some that are full of doubt and questioning about God. And it's all these accounts and this book, right, number one selling book in the world that has been consistently like it is this um, thing that has brought such life and beauty, caused people to change their mind about how, what, what to, how to see the world. And, and we believe that this book has, is authoritative because it is the story of God speaking to real people at real times and in real places. So for us, I, I, I like to say, uh, if you're here and you're open, wouldn't you like to hear such the stories and, and try to make sense of such an influential book that is the stories of people encountering that which is beyond their five senses. Wouldn't that be worth at least looking into something that has been this dominant and influential throughout culture that, that apparently is all these stories and, and, and accounts of this God at work in the world. So that's why we do this. Um, this is what the first church did. This is what churches have been doing for centuries. So this account that we're going to read uh, in this season of Eastertide is, in the first, is the first church. They're making sense of what Jesus' uh, resurrection means for them. Jesus has died on the cross. He's risen again. 
And in some way, he is somehow alive with us. He is king and, and lord. And so in a, in a culture that would have understand lots of king and lord language, um, a good king and a good lord would have grace and mercy and you would fall. You would know that this is where flourishing happens. This is where the life is when you fall in line behind the king. And so these first people are trying to make sense. What does it mean that Jesus is on the throne and not the ruling voices of the time, Caesar? Not the systems that are around them. That there is something new happening, a new kingdom, a new way, a new empire that is one born out of loving your enemies, dying to yourself, washing feet. It is one born out of mercy and grace. And this is the way, apparently, that God's going to put everything back together. It's the way he's renewing and reconciling all things. It will not be through power over. It will be through power under. And so this story... It's one I was reminded of two weeks ago. A friend of mine reminded me of when I had led like a big sort of study teaching on this account. And it had been, it's been, I don't even know, seven, eight years since I, I've, I've looked at this. And I'm so excited. This is like a beast of a passage. This is one of these stories um, that feels at first blush like it has very little to do with our current culture until you start unpacking what Paul, who's the, who's the person involved in the story, is, is actually up against. So we want to, this Raise Life series is all about becoming Easter people in a Good Friday world. So we're going to take a look at the Good Friday world. We're going to take a look at the culture of death that these Easter people who are trying to figure out what does it mean to be people of the resurrection of the new king. People who have no fear in death. People who are loved right where they're at and who are being transformed by God. What does this look like? Verse 23 of Acts 19. You guys ready? About that time, there arose a great disturbance in the force. No, there arose a great disturbance about the way. If you look in your Bibles, the way is capitalized. That's what these people were first called. Not Christian, they were just called people of the way. The way of Jesus. These, what they, these are the people of the way. I'd love to reclaim that. Sanctuary Church, people of the way. The way this is the way to life. This is the way to, to flourishing. This is who we are called to be. This is the eternal life. Now we get to begin to live out. There was a silversmith named Demetrius who made silver shrines of Artemis. Uh, brought in a lot, he brought in a lot of business for the craftsmen there. So here's some context. First picture. First picture. First picture. Sleeping at the wheel, guys. Yes. Well done. This is Artemis. Uh, this is a picture of Artemis. Uh, Artemis was, uh, fell from heaven, uh, from a meteor. Uh, Artemis is a rather conflicted goddess. Um, Artemis was the goddess, uh, on its Greek roots, was of forest creatures. Um, so like, I don't know, I always think of like a Looney Tunes sketch. Squirrels and, and, and bunnies and deer, like and then also later on sort of transitions, there's a, a different sort of meaning attached and it's the goddess of the hunt. So it's a bit of a, it's, <laughs> the joke goes, it, it, come here, bunny. Come here. Come here. Okay. Okay. All right. So she, <laughs> that was funnier in my mind. She's the goddess of forest creatures and the goddess of the hunt. That's funny. Thank you. They believe this. Everything they had came from Artemis. There was a yearly festival that about a million people would come to. 
In Ephesus, it was Artemis was, the, was also like the civil religion. So in other words, the rhythm of life in the city revolved around the temple and its festivals. Everything revolved around this goddess. Now, it's easy sometimes to think about this is like weird, archaic world. Obviously, the way of Jesus would seem so great. It, it's actually not that much. There, there was this, this they, they worshiped this goddess, but many attest that, you know, how much people really believed in like the spirituality of Artemis. This was like the socioeconomic system revolves around this temple and all that came from it. In some ways, um, I don't want to ruffle too many feathers here, but you can actually point to some of our own history where Christianity, there's sort of like the authentic way of Jesus, and then there's like the civil religion, right? We've seen that. Where like Christianity, sometimes we have a hard time, right? It's harder to like, like it's really difficult sometimes to, to out yourself as a Christian, right? Sometimes in our culture, especially in our state, right? It becomes really difficult to be honest about that. Why? Because sometimes a bunch of stuff that doesn't have much to do with actually walking with Jesus has been sort of like used to push things that have no biblical precedent for. Like they're just, they're literally sometimes antithetical to the way of Jesus. And so I only mention that and that we actually sort of know, depending on your view of history, that we actually understand a little bit of what this was where it was less about the deity and all the stuff attached to it and the worship, though that was part of the pomp and circumstance. And don't get me wrong, there are some that truly worshiped. But it was really just sort of the cornerstone that all of the other economic and cultural things swirled around. Her temple was one of the seven wonders of the world. I was destroyed. You can look up uh, sort of etchings, sketch, sketches of what people thought it looked like. Uh, it was one of the seven wonders of the world. Temple owned 70,000 acres of land. This is where all the banking money, everything was intrinsically linked. Artemis was the one who protected your children. You would pray to Artemis, which actually makes a ton of sense of interesting pas passages in the book of Ephesians. If you've ever read that about being saved through childbirth. That verse ever get you weird? You start doing some reading around like the history of Artemis and all of that. Um, it's just uh, fascinating uh, what the book of Ephesians is subverting. So we're told there arose a disturbance. Given all the information that we have about Artemis, um, you would buy, you could buy statues as a way to signify your allegiance and dependence. And what we do know from history is this was a huge trade. There's actually, I think, a picture of one of the statues. Millions and millions of these statues sold. Looking nice. So in verse 25, he called them together along with the workers in related trades and said, you know, my friends, that we receive a good income from this business. And you see and hear how this fellow, Paul, has convinced and led astray large numbers of people here in Ephesus and in practically the whole province of Asia. He's creating a stir all over the place. He says that gods made by human hands are no gods at all. There is a danger not only that our trade this is the trade of these statues, will lose its good name, but also that the temple of the great goddess Artemis will be discredited. And the goddess herself who is worshipped throughout the province of Asia and the world will be robbed of her divine majesty. This is a big deal. The very center of social and economic life is being threatened. The story and this is where I, you need to hold on to this point in particular, is beyond a story about just idols and just a few people getting bent out of shape 
right, that their little, like, their tchotchkes, like, are, like, their sales are going to dip. Riots don't happen because of that. They didn't happen that now, they don't happen that way, and they didn't happen because of that then. There was something larger. This was a quiet assault on the center of the city. All of the city that was, it was built around. It's a story about a different way than the way of Artemis that's actually being asserted. There's like a new world unlike the one that exists. And more and more and more and more people are catching on to this. It's a different invitation to how life should be. I was trying to think of a good parallel. And, and I, I realized lately, just because it's political season, right? I've been using a lot of political analogies. Um, and I think there's a lot that actually work and help reinforce a lot of what's going on in the scripture. Um, there was an interview with, uh, with Bernie Sanders. And somebody was kind of pressing him um, on how his policies really aren't going to work. And his response was, you keep talking about this old system that they're not going to work in. I agree. I'm talking about, uh, essentially, he says, I'm talking about like seeing this whole thing through a different lens. I mean, he essentially didn't use these words, but I'm talking about changing the system. I'm talking about thinking about all this differently. Now, however you feel about Bernie Sanders is not the point. For those of you who are like fell asleep and then woke up when you heard Bernie Sanders. This was not, I'm not, yeah. I, I think that's sort of the paradigm here a little bit. What's happening is, is these first Christians are not simply like, oh, like idol sales are dipping because he's saying like, hey, don't worship God's built by stone. There's a whole plethora of things your allegiance to the goddess, how you operate in economic structures, how you think about the daily rhythms of society. In some ways, it's a, it's a helpful picture, this Bernie Sanders story, because it's sort of like, no, 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 there's something totally different about the way you operate with the current systems of the world. Now, when I say systems, let, let me um, push that into our world for a minute. How you think about individualism and community, how you think about family, how you think about your, your, your finances and generosity, how you think about what you intake into your mind, how you think about how you, like, how you really vote and how the world really changes, how you think about gossip and what happens at the water cooler, how you think, I mean, we could go down the list. There's actually a different way. There, there's something being subverted in our own heart that's actually then subverting the dominant systems. So back to our story in verse 28. When they heard this, they were furious. So they heard that this is what's happening. Artemis is being discredited. There's, throughout the province of Asia, Artemis in the system is, is at risk. So when they heard this, they were furious and began shouting, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. Soon the whole city was in uproar. The people seized Gaius and, I can't say his name, Aristarchus, Aristarch, I can't do it. That guy, A, G and A. Paul's traveling companions from Macedonia and all of them rushed into the theater together. They all rushed into the theater together. I think we have a few pictures of the theater. Sat 25,000 people. 
Picture, you're standing there. Disciples with Paul, these like young guys are standing there. And then there's all these people who basically get a paycheck from Artemis. <laughs> Chanting, two and a half hours, we read. What you've been saying, how you've been living, is undermining this whole system. Great is Artemis. Great is Artemis. Paul wanted to appear before the crowd in verse 30, but the disciples would not let him. Paul wants to go before the crowd and talk to them. Let me in there. This is a story of a follower of Jesus who is fearless in witnessing to the love and grace of God. He wants to get in there and talk about this, about what's going on. Verse 31, even some of the officials of the province, friends of Paul, sent him a message begging him not to venture into the theater. The assembly was in confusion. Some were shouting one thing, some another. Most of the people did not even know why they were there. I love that. I feel that way about American politics all the time. It's like there's a crowd and there's a lot of people yelling, let's go. <laughs> Wait, why are we here? Wait, no, that guy? I don't even know. Sure, go. It was creating enough of a stir in the city that it was actually drawing people. You saw the pictures of that theater. This is no joke. The Jews in the crowd pushed Alexander to the front and they shouted instructions to them. He motioned for silence in order to make a defense before the people. But when they realized he was a Jew, they all shouted in unison for about two hours, great is Artemis of the Ephesians. The city clerk quieted the crowd down and said, fellow Ephesians, doesn't all the world know that the city of Ephesus is the guardian of the temple of the great Artemis and of her image which fell from heaven. So real quick, the city clerk gets in front of a huge group of people and just goes, look, guys, 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 guys. We're Ephesians. This little band of so-and-so are not gonna ruin all this. Like our whole city is grounded and centered on Artemis. Right? This, is, this is a long, eloquent way of saying, like, chill out. It's going to be okay. Therefore, since these facts are undeniable, you ought to calm down and not do anything rash. You have brought these men here, though they have neither robbed temples, nor have they blasphemed our goddess. Every once in a while, I've heard this passage talked about, and it's almost like, I don't know what it is that people skip that verse, but it's like, look at the riots that Paul was causing. He was obviously speaking out against like the brokenness and all of this evil idolatry. Apparently, in this case, Paul's able to start a riot, and he doesn't even blaspheme the goddess. He does not go after Artemis. There's something else happening. There's no picket signs. These followers of Jesus didn't need, apparently, to bash anyone else. They didn't need to tear down. They simply asserted that Jesus was Lord. That Jesus gave way to life. That Jesus had saved them from their sin. That Jesus is the filter for everything we do. And then the official continues. If then Demetrius and his fellow craftsmen, these are the guys who like first raised the concern, have a grievance against anybody, the courts are open and there are proconsuls 
They can press charges. If there's anything further you want to bring up, it must be settled in a legal assembly. This seems like a really like non-story. Doesn't it a little bit? Looks like everything worked out. We're often used to telling stories because much of the scriptures take place at a time where Christians are being crucified and killed. But even the time when Jesus was crucified, there wasn't actually like a Christian contingent that Rome was going after. Sometimes we get our history a little bit muddled. Rome wanted peace. Even though they conquered in very violent ways and overthrew and had very subversive ways of oppressing, Rome was like, they were super fine with multiple like religions existing. I mean, Artemis is not like Caesar worship. I mean, there's a lot of different stuff going on. This was a pluralistic society to a degree. I mention that because Paul's got what kind of friends? What kind of friends does Paul have? Like, he's got some friends in high places. He's got officials who go, hey, 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 um, don't, Paul, you might not want to enter there right now. The people who are about to go in and calm down the crowd, they're like, yeah, Paul, don't, not, probably not a good move. There was civility. Rome wasn't persecuting anyone in the sense that we get a picture of later on in the scriptures. I say this because we get a picture in the New Testament that the early Christians weren't trying to overthrow or even reform the empire. Yet in no way were they going along with it. They were not trying to overthrow the powers that be. Jesus is Lord now, not Artemis, not Caesar. Let's revolt. Some of the disciples wanted that to happen, if you remember, right? And what's the instructions in Rome? Some of the zealots wanted to overthrow, and he says, no, 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 love your enemy and actually submit to the powers as far as you can. God's put them in place to keep order. Just you go about your thing, even when you're persecuted, even when they blame you. The cause wasn't to go like storm the, storm the proverbial White House, Right? It was, no, no, you're going to live an alternative way. There's something totally new happening here. Throughout history, when followers of Jesus have been faithful, no matter what governmental system or oppression, there has been a witnessing community of Easter people. A group going... I, we use this phrase often, very cavalierly, I realize. I wanted to set in. They had, or they were, had a growing sense that they had no fear in death. They didn't care what others thought, not in some like area, I don't care what you think, I'm do it myself. They, you know, they had a deep sense of their own security and identity because they were called children of God, loved and set free. That all of the dividing walls that the world put up to keep people away from each other were being torn down. And God was bringing about, this is the words that Paul uses, a new humanity. A new humanity. A new humanity. 2,000 years later, it can be really easy Right? We know this. You've probably said these similar words. Easy to have church be church and life be life. Again, easy because we haven't seen all the stories that we thought we'd see. And church is church, then and life is life. Church really shouldn't have. I saw someone tweet the other day out. 
um, it was in regards to someone was asking um, Hillary Clinton and Bernie Sanders about their uh, faith. And someone tweeted out, Christianity, religion should never be a part of the political discourse ever. I thought that's a really cute thought, but re unrealistic, ridiculous, and impossible. And I say that in that the way we view the world, the way we view how things are supposed to be, what drives us as an engine of how we live and how we think about every aspect of our life have massive impacts over whatever career, job, place that we find ourselves in. You see, a riot is started in Ephesus simply by a group of people being the church, demonstrating and announcing the way of Jesus. Economics, we read in early church letters, are subverted. Orphans are cared for. Marriages are healed. Reconciliation, not just between friends when there's a conflict. Re reconciliation between people groups. Racial reconciliation of the umpteenth degree. Like those folks that actually can't get in according to our like bad reading of Jewish law are now literally allowed in, dividing wall down. Let's do this. It's sometimes hard for us to grab a hold of because we love to talk unity and love. And that actually, I think, inoculates us to how bad we are at doing it. This was beautiful. Brand new, out of the tomb people. Brand new humanity, seeing the world through a different lens, beginning to trust that something else was happening in the world. And the more us as individuals trust, the more us as a community begins to join with that kind of story. Easter people in a Good Friday world. Paul subverts the idols of their day with everyday stuff. My question this morning is, have we dulled the subversive nature of the gospel? Where have we sold our gospel, our good news that Jesus is Lord, short? Where should we be more radical? Where are we not willing to submit to Jesus? Where are the riots? <laughs> Just asking the question. I was telling a story to the, um, the setup team. Uh, we do a little like, kind of rally right before uh, the service starts in the morning. And I was just sharing um, just a moment the other day in our household where, because some of this stuff can feel like, let's go, like take on, and I'm all for that. Have you ever done the personality? I'm like a high prophetic type. I'm like the guy who wants to like, this kind of sermon, the sermon that involves like the fist, whatever that is. That's like, I could preach that all day, every day. So for me, it's really good to like take it out of like up here and bring it right down here. We're at home and I'm really annoyed because something didn't happen the way that I wanted to and I'm getting short with my wife and then she's getting short with me. And of course, Harper picks that time to lay on the floor for no reason and just start yelling incoherently. Can you imagine the scene? Anyone been there? Child going, ah! I'm like gritting my teeth at Corey. Like, look, I'm being patient. Look, I'm not raising my voice while the rest of my body is like, Wah. And then Corey does her thing, right? She just likes to like, I will shut down and shun you. Right? It's like this great moment. Like, mooks are on fire. <laughs> and I realized in that moment, right there, what does it mean to be Easter people in a Good Friday world? What insecurities are bubbling up in me? This may sound, you may think like, oh, this is a pastor. He must do this stuff all the time. This does not happen enough. Where I all of a sudden have a moment. I literally walk over to turn this light off. And I look up at the light and something about the light just makes me think of, like, Jesus. 
It was like a really literal lame moment. I like looked up, I'm like, God, what does it mean for you to like bring life to the situation and raise this? This is like the simplest thing. There's nothing overly romantic about this. No one came to Jesus in the moment. Like no one had all their bills taken care of, right? No one started speaking in tongues. Like I, it was a tense, awful moment of death in our household. And it was instantaneous. It was the most small and mighty miracle I've experienced in a while. It was just like, stop, apologize. It's like all of a sudden, like I had just been like taken over. <laughs> I walk up, I'm sorry. I'm being this, 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 this. It was just one of those simple moments. Or the everyday types of things. That's like home life. And this begins to trickle out. We begin to discipline ourselves. We begin to order our weeks in such a way that we are becoming more and open and attentive to the things of the spirit. We're becoming more filled with wonder. We're people less and less surprised by the brokenness of the world. Less and less surprised by the disease and illness in our own life. Less and less surprised. We're Christians. Anybody should never be surprised by pain and difficulty. It should be us. We get it. It's literally baked into our story as the world is jacked up in all sorts of ways. We've played the central part in it. What's wrong with the world? In some way, we are. And so we're ready for this, and we begin to step in. We're disciplining and conditioning ourselves to be more awake to the story of Jesus. We're reading the scriptures, becoming more alive to what it means to walk with Jesus. We're becoming more centered on the good news that we are loved, even in our failure and illness and brokenness and temptations and all of it. All of the stuff that makes a follower of Jesus a follower of Jesus, trusting this story that at the center of the universe is a God who loves us. The more and more this is trusted in the everyday moments. Like every system, it starts to affect not just household moment, looking up at the light. It starts to then affect how Corey and I, then our conversation that night's turned to one of like, how are we going to pray for these people? And so all of a sudden, like we're laying in bed and we're thinking about these folks that we need to actually be praying for, which then led the next morning to really brilliant ideas of how we can actually be reaching out to this particular person in our life who's really struggling. And then all of a sudden, that conversation and the phone call that was made from her to this other person was like at the exact moment that they needed it. And it was this moment that God like used to remind them and stir in their faith. And all of this like stemmed back to just simple acts of obedience. Just amazing what will happen. It's amazing what would happen when we begin to trust the story. And apparently, it had coalesced in such a way in this early church that it was starting to cause riots. It was starting to stir a bunch of people up. These people are not trusting the right story. Let's go back to the text one more time. Actually, I want to say one last thing about idolatry. Because that's what's partly going on here. The idols... Right? When we talk about trusting the story, we're talking about turning away from the things that actually grab our attention. William Stringfellow says this about idols in our time. Because we look at statues of Artemis and we go, idolatry has nothing to do with us. It's one of my favorite quotes. Idolatry is pervasive in every time and culture. No less now than yesterday. No less in Washington than in Gomorrah. Indeed, it might be argued that contemporary Western humanity is more enslaved to idols than our less civilized counterparts, precisely because we are presumable, presumably less ignorant about the world in which we live and because our favorite idols are the familiar realities of daily life. Religion, you can make an idol out of religion, work, money, status, sex, patriotism, he goes on. We allow these things which are good things to be ultimate things. 
So, Acts 20. Let's wrap this up. When the uproar had ended, Paul sent for the disciples, and after encouraging them, said, What do you say? What do you say? Goodbye. He came to Ephesus for a little while. I'm like a kid. I'm following Paul around. Imagine this. All those little pictures you saw of the theater. Following Rabbi, experiencing this insanity. And Paul just leaves. He leaves. The whole city wanted to kill them. Paul spent his life pouring into them. Actually, I'd say his life, but it's really not that long. Saying the words, let's assume he's discipling his people the same way that Jesus was discipling his people, right? He's showing them the way of Jesus. So that would mean that Paul is saying, you can do it. You can do it. You can be like the rabbi. You can trust the story. You can trust that because of God's strength and what God has done in you, he will make you new. And you can begin to join him in the work of renewal. He's telling them you can do it. He walks goodbye. Good luck with that whole theater thing. <laughs> you can do it, buddy. Like this is what happens. And let's just look at data for a minute. And there's a lot of things at play here. But 40 to 50 years later, 90% of, of Rome claims Jesus as Lord. Sorry, 90% of Ephesus that we know of claims Jesus as Lord. This is the Tokyo, the New York of its day. This raises all sorts of questions. Paul writes in Ephesians 3. He writes to the church that then later forms in Ephesus after he leaves. He says, now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than we can ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. The question for us is, is the same power at work? Is the same power at work? What's possible? I'm so done with all of the statistics about how the church is in decline. I really don't care to continue to think about it. I mean, it's a great fundraising tactic, but like Providence is less than 2% Christians. Like, I meet people all the time who are open. All the time. Are we being, uh, playing our faithful part, Sanctuary Church, and being a force of love, of being people that are called the way, who are more and more laying down our idols and laying down our junk that we might pick up life. If you're here and you're new and you're not a Christian and you're hearing all this, I hope that you're hearing this accurately. Here's what I hope you're hearing. We're called to revolt against the death of the world and the way that we do that is through sacrificial Jesus-like love. The way that we do that every time is laying down our lives for our enemy. Every time we do that, by being a blessing to those that aren't in this community. I'm just speaking to you guys. We would hope, this is just this is like family time. We would hope that if sanctuary disappeared, the lives and the systems that our church touches would miss us, even if they want nothing to do with Jesus. They would miss us. Because everyone being made in the image of God would go, oh, there was something there. And we would disrupt that, which is death, and be a part of what God is doing in raising life. We are told that the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, but of power. The power was at work and is still at work. 
And so the question for us is, what is possible? Peter Kreef puts it like this. Can you imagine what 10 more Mother Teresas would do for this world? Or 10 more John Wesleys? No, you can't imagine it. Any more that you can imagine how 12 nice Jewish boys could conquer the Roman Empire. Those were the disciples. You can become a follower of Jesus. Absolutely no one and nothing can stop you. If you look into your own heart in utter honesty, you must admit that there is one and only one reason why you're not even now as saintly as the primitive Christians. And it's that we don't wholly want it. I think some of us, we hedge our bets. We've been walking with like with Jesus for a while and we haven't seen these stories and it's getting tired and it's been a decade. Maybe you're in college and you're like, you had a great come to Jesus moment and it's just been hard. And I just want to humbly submit to you as I think it was G.K. Chesterton who said, it's not that Christianity has been tried and found lacking or wanting. It's that it hasn't actually been tried. And be tried does not mean working harder and harder and harder to do good, to do good, to do good. No, no, tried means trusting this story here. We do this in remembrance of Jesus. We do this because we are reminded this season of Christ dying on the cross for our sins. His body broken and his blood poured out and rising again inaugurating a whole, like a new world breaking forth right in the middle of this one. One where we can be free from sin, covered in the grace of Jesus, that you and all of your, you may be here and you feel like there is no way I can join with this whole story of raising life. Be one more Mother Teresa? Like I can't even like, I can't even be a halfway decent human being most days. That's the beauty of the good news as God meets you right there and goes, I, I love you. I have forgiven you. I have set you free. We start from here. We start from a place of love and forgiveness. We don't start from a place of shame and condemnation. So if you're here and there are old idols that you need to let go, would you come to the table? And as you dip that bread in that cup, might it just be baptizing that thing all over again? Some of you, you need to develop systems and rhythms in your life. I, I've been in this place for so long. I only feel like I'm starting to now get the hang of it. Of regular rhythms of seeking the way of God, of learning the way of God, of journeying with other people. For some of us this morning, we need to raise our hand and say, I want to follow this Jesus. I've heard all of this and I want to actually trust the story to repent and believe that Jesus is Lord. To repent means to turn, to turn back, to turn around back to who you were created to be, back to Jesus. I wanna trust this story. I want to say yes. I have been forgiven and set free. So, it is by God's grace and God's power that we might be called children of God blessed to be a blessing, giving glory to the one who has saved us. So whatever's stirring in your heart, conviction of who you need to love better, conviction of what it means to wholly want the way of Jesus, 
Maybe some of you, you, you need to share with me or some of the other leaders vision you have for our church. Cause you're like, oh man, I've been burning to get involved in this and to do this, to help rally the community, to help serve the city more of this. Maybe it's that. Maybe today, again, you're just in the most despairing, exhausted place and this sermon almost exhausted you. You need to actually, part of the revolution, part of being Easter people is being people who are at rest. <laughs> people who are celebrating the kingdom. People who need to journey inward and receive the healing that Jesus offers. So wherever you're at, as we come to the table, might we allow this sacred act that has been done since the very beginning, since this story was told. May it heal us, may it empower us. Lord Jesus, Son of God, people made in your image, called very good at the beginning of time, who've been marred by sin and brokenness, who've allowed shame to overtake us, God, would you, as we come to the table, be reminded of the freedom that we have in you. Be reminded that we are loved exactly where we are at. Reminded that you have made the move toward us, that there's nothing we can do to earn your favor. And Lord, for many of my brothers and sisters, may we, as we come to the table today, may we pick up the call, the revolution, the revolt, May you show us in the details of our life and maybe the grand things of our life where we need to be Easter people and give us the strength to live out your call. In your name we pray.